core value, and that's that at CBC, we prioritize God's word. We value Christ-centered Bible teaching that has depth and substance while being clear, interesting, and relevant. Today, we're going to look at our third core value, everyone involved. I don't know if you can read that, but I'll read it for you. We encourage everyone, not just our leaders, to discover the gifts and purposes that God has for them and to find their place in serving God. At CBC, it's important to us that it isn't just the pastor or CBC's leaders who have a ministry and everyone else benefits from that ministry. No, we realize as a church that everyone who follows Jesus has a ministry. Everyone gets to be involved. And so at CBC, pastor, church staff, leaders aren't here to do the ministry for you or to do the ministry to you, but rather to equip you to have a ministry yourself. And today's scripture, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, is one of the places in the Bible that CBC has often looked to as one of the clearest articulations of why we value everyone being involved. There's an Indian proverb that goes like this. Nothing grows under the banyan tree. In case you don't know what a banyan tree is, it's a big tree with lots of thick foliage and branches that grow outward. And so it very effectively blocks out the sun. It provides great shade, but it also means nothing can grow underneath it. Nothing grows under the banyan tree. And this proverb has been adopted in leadership circles to caution us against the kind of leader who is not the kind we read about in our passage this morning. The kind of leader who does not let everyone be involved. The kind of leader who takes up all the space and crowds everyone else out. A leader who has to have things their way, has to call all the shots, and who isn't interested in developing others and the visions and ideas they might have. And that kind of leader might do a great job at what they do, but nothing else, no one else, grows under that banyan tree. Contrast that with a few years ago, my mom was still living on 20 acres, and she had a logger come in and do a selective cut of her woods. He didn't cut everything. He cut the unhealthy trees, and he cut some of the biggest trees. And after he was done, the thick woods behind our house were now thinned out. There were now patches of sunlight coming in here or there, allowing space for new trees to grow up and mature. Well, when a pastor leaves, it's a bit like that. <laughs> I have worked very hard not to be like a banyan tree. Uh, and I have encouraged other CBC leaders not to be either. I've encouraged us not to develop a delivery culture where, as leaders, we prioritize doing all of the ministry for people and delivering religious goods and services, but rather that we develop a development culture where we train up and we raise up new leaders and young leaders. That's, but still, even though we've attempted that, when a pastor leaves, it leaves a hole in the forest. 
so to speak. And in that, there is actually an opportunity. Now, I know it's hard to lose a pastor, and I don't want to make light of that. But there is also some benefit, some positive, or at least some new opportunities. And I want to encourage you as a church to take advantage of those opportunities. Let me mention two of those opportunities that I see in today's passage. One is the opportunity to recognize and value and lift up a greater variety of ministry gifts. I see this in verse 11 of our passage. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Here, Christ gives ministry gifts to God's people. And notice it's not just one type of ministry. It's not just pastors. It's also, excuse me, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. Now, I would say more than anything else, I've probably been a teacher. And, and CBC is a church that values good teaching, but there are also other types of gifts that are equally valuable. And Paul mentions four of them here. And in the coming months, you will have a unique opportunity to recognize and value some of these other gifts. Let's look at them briefly. First, apostles. The word apostle literally means one who is sent, a, a representative, a messenger, an ambassador even. And this word apostle is used two ways in the New Testament. It's used on the one hand for a very select group of 12 people who Jesus sent as apostles. These were 12 men whom Jesus selected. They knew him personally. They had followed him during his life. They were taught by him intensively, and they personally witnessed his death and his resurrection. And when these 12 died, this sort of apostleship died with them. But on the other hand, there's another group of people in the New Testament called apostles. Did you know that? In Acts 14.14, 14, Barnabas, not one of the 12, is called an apostle. In Romans 16.7, Andronicus and Junia are called apostles. In 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1 and 2.6, Silas and Timothy are called apostles. None of these were among the 12. These were leaders, rather, who had been sent out by the Holy Spirit uh, or by the church to preach the gospel and to start churches in new places. Today, we might call some of them missionaries. They were pioneers. They took new ground. They started new things. They explored new frontiers. And God still gifts people today for this task, right? We uh, prayed for some of them this morning. The missionaries our church supports, the Noonans in the Middle East, for example, Gina Mueller up in Maine. I suspect when CBC got started as well that some of those who were the driving force in getting CBC started were gifted in this sort of way. Christ gives these sorts of people as gifts to the church so God's kingdom will keep growing, keep expanding in new places and in new ways. Next is prophets, and there's been a lot of debate in churches about whether there are still prophets today or whether prophets died out in some time in the past. 
Well, what I would say about this is that the burden of proof is on those who say prophets no longer exist to prove their case. For two reasons. First, because while the New Testament does say prophecy would cease in 1 Corinthians 13, it never says when it would cease. Would it cease when the apostles died? Would it cease when the New Testament was completed? Or would it cease when Jesus comes back in the future? The Bible doesn't say. So combine that with the fact that second, people today are still receiving messages from God, messages that provide encouragement and exhortation to build people up in their faith. Um, and that's just what 1 Corinthians 14 said prophets should do. Um, I, I realize there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in the name of prophecy. <laughs> God told me I should marry you. God told me, told all, that, that all my viewers should send at least $500 for my ministry. So sure, there are false prophets, just like there are false teachers, but we don't shy away from teaching as a result. The negative abuses we should be wary of don't negate the fact that in churches all over the world, there are people who get spiritual pictures, they hear words from God, and when they share those with other people, that's used powerfully to minister to those people. So has prophecy ceased? Well, God can do whatever God wants, but I have never heard an argument from the Bible that has convinced me that it definitively has. You can decide for yourself what you think. But if we are open to the idea as a church, then, then the question for us is, how can we make space, healthy space, for people to share things that they sense God might be saying. And this is just importantly as important, how can we get in the habit as God's people of weighing and discerning those words as to whether they're really from God? Because prophecy definitely has to be tested. Well, enough about prophecy. What about evangelists? These are those who, whenever churches get bogged down in church affairs, Remind us, don't forget about all the people out there. <laughs> we need to get out there and reach them. These folks aren't all Billy Grahams. They don't all give out tracts on street corners. Often they're just winsome people who like to get to know new people and to share their enthusiasm about Jesus and what Jesus has done in their lives and, and for the world. And we need people like that to keep leading us outside of the four walls of this church to reach those outside evangelists. Next is shepherds or pastors. The Greek word could be translated shepherd or pastor. I actually like the word shepherd because today often when we hear pastor, we think of the paid guy up front. But that's not what the Bible means by pastor or shepherd. Rather, shepherds are people who care about spiritual people's spiritual well-being. They care about making sure people get guided and protected and that they are fed spiritually and that they grow. Some of these people are highly relational. They draw close to people. Others organize simple systems or, or procedures to make sure people are getting fed and protected and taken care of spiritually. Lastly, finally, uh, last is teachers, those gifted not necessarily to teach in a classroom or from the pulpit, but in various ways, formal and informal, they're 
uh, passionate to see people be trained to better follow Jesus. They want people to clearly understand God's word and to know what they believe, and they want people to practically know how to follow Jesus and how to live out God's word. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, all very different. God, Jesus, has given a variety of ministry gifts, and over the coming months, there's going to be a hole at CBC. You aren't going to have someone with the title of pastor, and while that might be hard, it also lets some sunlight in and allows new opportunities for some new sorts of ministry to emerge. They may not all be teaching ministries. Some of them might be outreach ministries or caring ministries or hearing from God ministries. And I hope as they emerge, you will recognize and value them. The second opportunity CBC will have, not having a pastor, is the opportunity to remember that the New Testament vision isn't for any one leader or small group of leaders to do all the ministry, as we saw in, verse, in this passage. It's rather for all of God's people to get involved in doing the ministry together. This is what we see, especially in verses 12 to 13. What does Jesus give the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service, or in some translations, for works of ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become a mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How does the church grow and become mature? All God's people do the ministry of building one another up. It takes everyone being involved. Imagine if a sports team organized itself like a lot of churches do, that allow the pastor or a small group of leaders to do all the ministry. I once heard a preacher uh, humorously describe a team like this. He said, imagine that we are the TV sportscasters standing on the sidelines of a football game to give the play-by-play. -play. The team nearest us is standing together, heads bowed in prayer with the coach in the middle. Suddenly, they give a great cheer, and the coach trots out onto the field by himself. <laughs> the players go sit on the bench. What's going on, we ask as we stick the microphone in, into the face of a 250-pound guard. What's the coach doing out there? Oh, he's going to play today. All by himself? Sure, why not? He's had a lot more experience and training than the rest of us. He's got, uh, we've got a lot of rookies on the team. We might make some mistakes. Anyway, they pay the coach well, and... We're here to cheer him and to support for him and look at the huge crowd that's come to watch him play. <laughs> well, that game is not going to go well, is it? <laughs> for the other team, it will, not for the coach. <laughs> and neither do churches do well when we let a small group of people or one person do all the ministry. That's not God's design. God's design is that everyone is involved. Everyone is a part of the team. Volunteering, yes, but not just volunteering in practical ways. 
also doing ministry beyond just volunteering. What do I mean by ministry in this bigger sense? I mean helping the body of Christ to be built up spiritually, built up to maturity and to unity, to stronger, healthier community. Ministry is when we pray for someone else. Ministry is when we share about Jesus with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. Ministry is when we take time to share with someone what God taught us this morning when we spent time reading the Bible and praying before our day began. Ministry is taking time to tell a child a Bible story. Ministry is leading a Bible study. Ministry is sharing a story or testimony about something God did in our life. Ministry is leading a discipleship group for some younger Christians. Ministry is a lot of things. It's so many different things. We are each different, and so we're each going to do it differently, and we're going to have something unique to contribute. You uniquely have something to contribute to build others up that no leader in this church can do quite the way you can do it. Have you discovered what that uniqueness is yet? The well-known Californian pastor, Ray Steadman, once said provocatively, the best way to evangelize a community would be to start by locking all the preachers in jail. Other Christians might then begin to realize that they too have gifts for ministry and begin to exercise them in effective ways. Well, thankfully, I'm not going to jail, but with me leaving CBC soon and CBC being without a pastor for a season, it's a great time to learn what gifts God may have given you for ministry or to dust them off and use them if it's been a while. It's a great time to realize that you can contribute um, and what you can contribute is all the more important. And so maybe for you, if you've been sitting on the bench or if you're not quite sure yet what kind of ministry you could have, this would be the perfect time to try something or, or to begin to, and to begin to find out. Because do you know how I figured out what my ministry was? I just tried stuff. <laughs> I took some risks, and some of the things I tried, I did not do very well at. I failed. But after bumbling along for a while, I began to figure out how God had gifted me as I got feedback from people. Everyone involved. That's the kind of church that CBC is committed to being. So what's the purpose of it all? What's the purpose for which Christ gives the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? What's the purpose for which they equip all God's people to do the ministry? What's the purpose for which all God's people do the ministry? It's not so a little church like CBC survives, although surviving is a good start. <laughs> It's not just so we can attract the next great pastor who will lead us to new heights. It's not to have a well-oiled religious organization that functions efficiently so there are no problems or hiccups. It's not to have a comfortable and inspiring place to come on a Sunday morning. No, it's rather two things. 
they're spelled out in verses 12 and 13. So that the body of Christ may be built up, one, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and two, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Unity and maturity, and both have to do with Christ. Unity in our faith and knowledge of Jesus, and maturity until we're full of Jesus. Unity is about growing together, strengthening our relationships in the ways Jesus teaches us. And maturity is about our character and our relationship with God as Jesus fills more and more of us so we're more and more like him. Let me ask you a question. Is any of you here this morning all the way full of Jesus yet? I'm not. In other words, there's more. There's more ministry to be done. There's more to reach, more to discover, more to grow in, and it takes all of us to get there. We each have a, a piece of the puzzle that, that we bring. We, we have a ministry to contribute, and it takes all of us to grow in, in, uh, if we hope to, to reach maturity, to reach the fullness of all Jesus wants to give us and to show us and to be for us. It takes everyone being involved. And that's the kind of church we want to be. So as we close, let, let me ask you like I did last week, what's God saying to you this morning? Take a minute to reflect on that as we pray. God, thank you for this amazing picture of your church. Last week we saw how your word lays a foundation how Jesus is the cornerstone and how we're built together to become a temple for you to live by your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you have done all the heavy lifting and you've given us gifts and now you've invited us to be involved. I pray for each of us that we would discover, if we don't know already, what our place is. And if we're not sure, give us the courage to take a risk and to try something. I pray for our leaders that they would be encouraging and patient and that they would know more effectively how to equip all of us here to be involved in ministry. Show us our next step for each of us. Amen.